0: That's why the younger you
1: are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. and We want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by the Art of Manliness store. Yes, we have a store where we sell swag, merch, whatever it is you want to call it. we got t-shirts, we've got posters featuring Roger Kipling's poem, If Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech. We also have some pretty cool coffee mugs. They're hefty, big fan of it. Also got our one-of-a-kind Ben Franklin Virtue Journal. Got some other stuff there. Go check it out, store.artofmanliness.com. And if it's your first purchase, use code AOMPODCAST at checkout. You get 10% off your first purchase. All your purchases from the Art of Manliness stores help support the podcast as well as the content we produce on artofmanliness.com. So go check it out, store.artofmanliness.com. Code AOMPODCAST for 10% off. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, I don't know about you guys, but every now and then I have this dream or fantasy that of going out to Vermont, buying some land and becoming a yeoman farmer. You know, I just, uh, to me, that just sounds really cool. Um, But if I'm honest with myself, that's never going to happen. But today's guest actually did that. Uh, His name is Forrest Pritchard. He's the owner of Smith Meadows. Farm, uh, located in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. This is an eighth-generation family farm. This farmer's been in his family for eight generations, um, and he just came out with a book called Gaining Ground, Uh, and it's basically his story of how he saved the family farm, because before he took it over, it was in pretty bad shape and on the verge of being sold, and uh, he decided to change directions in life and become a farmer. So today we're going to talk about his story. We're going to talk a bit about his book, Gaining Ground. So listen in. Well, Forrest, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Brett. I'm, I'm honored to uh, to have anything to do with the art of manliness.
1: Well, you're, so you're, thanks you're a, for inviting me. Well, you're very welcome. You're a farmer, which is a, a manly profession it goes back thousands of years. Uh, so it's, uh, it's very appropriate that you're on the Art of Manliness podcast. Um, let's talk a little about your history um, before we get into kind of um, the what your book's about. Uh, your farm that you run is Smith Meadows. This is a seventh generation right. farm, right? It's been in your family for seven generations—a long time. Uh, you grew up on this farm, working on it with your grandfather um, right. and your dad, and um, to sure. extent. When you were a kid, was farming something you saw yourself doing? Like when you were in high school, like, yeah, I want to be a farmer. Were you ready to get out of town and head to the big city?
0: Um, what I wanted to do more than anything when I was a kid was was be a superhero. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you
0: know, I wanted I wanted to be Sp- Spider Man, and Devil, and uh, I thought my cousin Peter was the luckiest guy on the planet. Because he had the first name like Peter Parker, oh, um, nice. and I, I I was stuck with this crummy name Forrest, um, which didn't didn't serve me till uh, Forrest Gump came along about twenty or thirty years thirty <laughs> years later, or whatever. Um, but no, I mean you know I think um, I think you know in the book I mentioned at one point like I was playing Star Wars as a kid. And, you know everybody in in our generation, and you know now more generations are going to play play Star Wars and Indiana Jones and A Team and all these. Uh, iconic shows of our childhood, but I don't think it was any accident, you know, like Luke Skywalker, you know, George Lucas wrote that character as a farm kid, you know, mm, yeah. um, you know, farm kids are, are dreamers. Um, and, and farming, farming can be like a, you know, pretty confining, confining feel, um, where dreams can sometimes, you know, be squelched or, or made to fit inside a box. So, um, you know, I was lucky as a kid I wasn't made to do farm chores. I wasn't like you know you know now you're five, go out and make some hay <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> um you know you better be driving this tractor by now I, I was given I was given a chance to be a kid, and that's not to say like you know I didn't participate and I didn't grow up on the farm and I wasn't out there all the time because I was you know the barefoot huckleberry Fin kind of kid um you know running around the fields. But I was also allowed to, like, have a childhood, you know, have um, have an ability to to kind of have fun as a kid. So, I mean, I think probably more than anything, kind of being given that freedom by my elders to be respectful of that childhood period and and value it um, led me to want to farm. um, Because then I was able to not feel, like, miserable, not feel encumbered by a bunch of chores, and I didn't have that Luke Skywalker feeling where it's like, you know, Luke, go clean the uh, moisture evaporators. Oh, you know, I
1: yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. play with my friends, kind of thing. So, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. So, yeah, you you wanted to be a superhero. So, like, yeah, farming really wasn't it wasn't pushed on you, right? I guess, right. Um, but how, when did you decide, like, farming is what you wanted to do? I mean, that's a big decision. Um, because uh, if a lot of people who are listening don't know, like, farming is an expensive job. There's a lot of expenses that go along with the profession. Um, so how did you decide to, you know, make that leap? I mean, was it, did you feel called to it or was there some moment where you're like, yeah, this is what I have to do?
0: I think it was definitely a bit of both. Um, there's an undeniable sense of stewardship that's just kind of handed down and you don't have to spend long, um, being around a farm. And we were, you and I were talking earlier about your, your feelings, like when you go to visit Vermont, for example, like there's just something when you step into, uh these these small farm towns and in this air of sustainability and, and seasonality that just just resonates it's it's hard it's hard not to feel that resonate i mean unless you were you know spend your whole life in Las Vegas or something <laughs> I don't know like where you, where you'd have to live apologies to lifetime residents of Las Vegas I just blew it um, but uh i mean the, the other side of all that is is um when you've got this kind of like cultural resonance on one side, but then you're like, you're 19, you're 20 years old. And you're thinking, you know, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to be an English major? Are you going to go to law school? You know, are you going to drop out and flip hamburgers? And you're, you're driving down the road and you see farms, literally that you, you grew up, um, seeing all your life, or you, you visited when you were a 4 h or you went over to your friend your friend's place and played in his barnyard. And they're being bulldozed straight down to the ground, okay? And I'm talking like you know, the late 80s, early 90s in the Shandor Valley. Uh, farms were not being saved then. Farms were being pushed out for housing developments. And that's just a really tangible uh, kind of kind of visceral thing that is hitching the gut. You know, you're, you're driving to town um, in one direction, and by the time you, you do your you, you run your errands and you come back, um, the barn that you've seen there for your whole life is gone. It's just like there's dirt and there's bulldozers in it. So, you know, it doesn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to say, look, you know, could that be our place? You know, we're not doing so well. You know, I hear my parents grumbling over the bills and, gra- and grandpa's gone and, you know, he was the last person to be farming. Um, You know, wh- what wh- what kind of creative person do you have to be to say, like, you know, the writing the writing might be on the wall if if we don't do something?
1: Yeah, that was interesting. You're talking about how just like bulldozing land, right. And like putting development on there, sure. like shopping. Like, yeah, it's like, it's a sense of place, right? Like you feel connected to the land. Um, right. You know, even here in Tulsa, like just in the past, you know, few years I've lived here, there's been a lot of development and you like see it go up and like, I don't know yeah, You feel like a part of you is missing, you know, cause you see this like beautiful land that was once there, not there anymore.
0: Exactly. And there's some there's something about it that's just – it, it kind of makes you say, like, like how? Like, what? You know, like, okay. But it doesn't feel like a really good okay sometimes. Sometimes it's it's like, really? You know, like, that. that's what's – like, that's what's happening to that farm. Like, it's, it's turning into, like, a, you know, another subway, you know, $5 foot long yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> oh, okay, well, here we go. And there's going to be a parking lot and, you know um, – but, you know, at a certain point, like how many battles, how many battles can we pick and how many battles can we win? And you have to say like, look, I've got this family farm. I can't save family farms everywhere, but I can, I can give it a try on my own. And, and that's kind of like, you know, when I was 2021, 20, that's, that's pretty much like what I was feeling.
1: Yeah. So 2021, so you, were you done with college or were you still in college at this time?
0: Yeah, I was still in college when I was struggling with some of this stuff. I ended up. Um, being, uh, ended up battling in geology because I went to liberal arts school and they didn't have like an ag, you know, an ag or uh, envir- environmental track. So uh, geology started to resonate with me and soil studies, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely where my interest started to go about
1: that time. All right. So you mentioned that uh, you mentioned a word when you were talking about the type of farming you do. You do sustainable farming. Um, for our readers who aren't familiar with it, can you just briefly describe the difference between sustainable farming, what you do, and typical industrial farming that goes on?
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to. And just to, you know, kind of throw out like a Webster's definition of sustainable farming. You know, the word sustainable means you know. A, not to re- repeat their own word and its definition, but it, it sustains. It sustains itself. It's like it's kind of a, a self-perpetuating mechanism. Um, and for farming, that is, you know, it's commonly associated with you know, organics and local and and you know, non non use of chemicals and things like that. Um, but sustainable isn't just about production methods. It's it's about finances and the economics of things too. Um, you know, the the overarching theme of sustainability is to not only grow things in a, you know in a way that nature provides a sustainability but the economics are sound uh, they're plausible and they're uh, and they're re- repeatable so getting back to your question like basically what we do is we do have an organic model where we don't use any commercial fertilizers we use no antibiotics we use no hormones and we market our food locally to customers that really care about this stuff, to care about, you know, were their animals raised humanely? Is this money that they're spending going back to green space? Is the dollars going to be reinvested in the local hardware store and the local feed store you know, stay in this area? And, you know, I want to back up one second and say, like, I've got no bone to pick with, with the other side, with conventional agriculture. I'm, you know, nothing in my book is about, like, you know, this side's right and, and the other side's wrong. Um, basically, what we do is we offer people an alternative. So, what the alternative, you know, growing up, that I saw um, to what I do now, is how most of our food is still raised in this country. I mean, 97 percent and onward of the food that you know you'll get at McDonald's, or you'll you'll get at Safeway or or Walmart or wherever you shop is raised um, with chemical usage, confinement. Uh, feedlot practices, uh, grain that's uh, animals that are strictly grain-fed, and then fed antibiotics as a byproduct of grain feeding. Um, food that has been literally trucked thousands of miles, um, you know, with with a with a with a plume of diesel smoke behind it, um, and you know, a, a little bit of that might seem like kind of ivory tower and. Uh, you know, kind of oh well, you know there's there's an organic farmer up on a soapbox kind of thing, and like I get that like you know when when we're disconnected from our food it's it's hard to say like you know is is organic really better or is there, or conventional really better? well, you know, I'm not trying to persuade anybody like to eat organic or or to um, eat however they want, but when you when you stood on your front on your family's front porch on a failing farm. And you've been raising corn and soybeans conventionally, which I did about 15 years ago, and you get handed a check for 18 bucks. Okay. Like your whole harvest uh, gets turned over and and you get, you get, you get basically a $20 bill for, for a year's worth of work. Man, you know, that's going to cause anybody to rethink things. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, that, that, that that persuaded, persuade itself. (laughs) It not required no additional persuasion.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So talk about a little bit, I mean, let's back up here. So um, you guys primarily raise livestock, right? Is that your kind of the main... That's right. Okay. And I mean, what are some of the benefits um, of the meat or the product or the, heart? I don't know what you call it, of doing it sustainably? I mean, what are some of the differences between cows who are grass-fed between a cow who's corn-fed? Of course.
0: Yeah. And I should back up a second because you just pre- kind of sort of answered my question for me. I said we raise livestock. What we really do is we raise grass on our farm. We are a pasture farm. And w- like, you know, why am I going to put like, you know, um, you know, big asterisk neon light, you know, um, over top of this mm-hmm. is because everything that we do on our farm goes back to sustainability. And like, you know, if, if people uh, out there listening, you know, just think about your lawn, for example, or, or the park, you know, the park. That's in your neighborhood. There's grass in the park. Okay, like how does the grass grow? Let's let's just break it down real quick. We got sunshine, we got rain, and we got soil fertility. Okay, now we can go out and you know put some Scott's Miracle Grow on stuff. Okay, but like how many you know twenty fifty dollar bags of Scott's Miracle Grow can we sustain? Okay, so then it gets back to like issues of sustainability, and what we've got is a built-in natural system. Where we take free sunshine, and we take free rain, and we couple that with natural soil fertility that's just like you know available to us, and that's really challenging how we can argue that that's not a self-sustaining system. I mean, that's that's the that's the circle of life in a nutshell, right there.
1: Yeah, so it's something that we, could that could go on forever, right?
0: Exactly exactly that's that's my whole point so you know some of this is like some bigger picture thinking to get down to like what ends up on your plate when you shop at a farmer's market when you when you take home like a you know grass-fed ribeye steak or something okay yes that's delicious and and like you got to talk to the farmer and you know everything everybody feels like you know warm and fuzzy for a minute but we can like really go backwards and like trace this and say you know what is the root of sustainability here? Pun intended, because the root, you know, is is these roots down in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna take we're gonna take a grass fed animal and a grass fed production model, and we're gonna compare that with a grain fed model, and the the contrast is is very stark. Um, and not you know not to be like Debbie Downer or anything. Um, you know, I'm, wow. I'm not interested. Wow. Like I said, in, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't want to be that like, ah, But I mean. You know, it, far more eloquent people have, have, have spoken about this, and the internet has got you know 10 million and one images of animals in confinement, and all you have to do is, is test this with your nose. Okay, have you ever been driving down an interstate highway? And all of a sudden, you know, you're listening to the radio and everything's great and you just catch a whiff of something and you're like, oh, what? you know, what is that smell?
1: There's a big, yeah, like one in Amarillo, right outside of Amarillo, Texas, whenever we'd go to Albuquerque to see my grandpa, it was the worst smelling thing. It was like you had to hold your breath for five minutes.
0: There's something wrong with that brett yeah. <laughs> okay i like I want your listeners to like think about that for a second like why you know why when we smell something like rotten in our refrigerator or like you know something dead um do we like recoil like on like kind of on a you know a molecular level um you know we have you know we've been just kind of for generations been taught like you know that bad. Uh, this good, you know, in the kind of caveman speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, don't eat, eat this, yeah, you know, and so, you know, when we have to have to drive down the highway for like five miles with the windows rolled up and the air conditioner on full blast because it smells so bad. Just imagine if you're one of those animals, or you know, or one of those people working in that feedlot where there's ten thousand thousand animals standing in their own excrement and being fed grain that has been trucked, you know, from you know north dakota down to you know texas mm-hmm. you know and, and that that trail of, of stuff and and there's you know there's no sustainability when animals are have been uh, uh, they've evolved to eat grass there's no explanation for giving them a monoculture diet of just pure corn um and quite frankly their digestive system rebels against it, which is why antibiotic use is, is almost mandatory mm. in a confinement system. So I'm gonna step off my soapbox for a minute, catch well, my breath.
1: No, yeah, yeah, no. Well it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's just it's it is unsustainable, I guess, right? Like it's just doesn't make any sense. So here you, you feed them this grain that like their body's not, I guess, really designed for. So as a exactly. consequence you have to give them more antibiotics, which probably isn't good for the person eating it. You know, like I don't wanna it Precisely. Know, you know, so, I think that there's, there's well, actually yeah, I, getting this back to like the manliness thing. I think I've read studies about uh, how the hormones in some grain-fed beef can affect testosterone levels. Of or, course, see, a, a,
0: a soy is loaded with estrogen. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? What's the coincidence when we've got a bunch of ten-year-old boys uh, running around, and and we we kind of say to myself, "My God, does that kid need a bra?" I mean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm I'm not joking. I mean, I'm, you know, you don't you don't have to like be you know you know left wing and and organic lovey lovey dovey to be like you know what what's going on with with some of these kids. Um Yeah. So you know, there's this, there's a direct consequence between what we're putting in our putting in our food uh and our and fueling ourselves with. Okay, and if we're going to fuel ourselves with things that come from natural soil, like our ancestors ate, and this is where like the whole paleo yeah. and you know eat like eat like a dinosaur and and <laughs> and all this stuff, um, you know it, it it resonates.
1: Yeah, I think for sure one of the things that uh, stuck out to me the most, or not the most, but what I thought was really interesting, you started raising hogs or pigs, mm-hmm. and I found fascinating sure. that um the way you guys do it, like there's a system that you guys do right, um, uh-huh. yeah. and what I found interesting is that, you know, usually we think of pigs like, oh, they just like wallow in their own filth and like they enjoy sure. being. But you found that like the pigs actually, they go to a place to like do their business and then they right. come back yeah, somewhere true. else. And like it actually like raising pigs isn't very stinky. It actually smells kind of sweet if you do it right.
0: Exactly. Yeah, our pigs smell like maple syrup. Um, I the thought... It's like, kind of like, like sensory clue I can... I can
1: attribute it to. That was the most bizarre because like that, it's so counterintuitive because I think of oh you raise a pig, it's just like sitting in its slop and it's just nasty. Why would you want to eat that? <laughs> Even though I love bacon. Um
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if we if we give a pig no choice but to sit in its own slop, that's where it's gonna sit. Yeah. You know? Um but you know, do we do we um do we have the courage and the wisdom to say like, okay, let's give this pig some uh different choices. And be able to have like the patience, you know, to you talk about like some positive, positive male attributes, you know, wisdom, courage, and patience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's a pretty good platform sure. right there. And to, and to go back and say like, look, let's watch this pig. Let it, let it express itself. Is there some way that we can reach an intersection of the pig being able to like express its pigness? Okay. And us being as farmers, to be able to say, like, look, we can raise this animal sensibly at the same time. You know, and that's, that's going to be a win-win. That's going to be a pig that's, that's probably going to grow more quickly. Um, it's going to put out a much more flavorful meat by, by a, being able to, like, you know, eat the minerals out of the soil and mineralize, mineralize its body, which it cannot do, by the way, if it's just eating corn all day long and living in its own filth. And it's going to create a sustainable story for people to come out, and like, visit local farms, see this smell with their own nose nothing they're just mm-hmm. gonna smell fresh air which is what you expect to smell yeah. when you go to a farm <laughs> you know people go out to the country to smell fresh air they don't <laughs> go out there to smell a hog extra yeah, yeah okay um and you know all this all this stuff just gets back to like what can be sustainable now don't don't get me wrong um the the truly sustainable animals i feel on our farm are our grass-fed cattle and our grass-fed sheep because those are animals that are out there, you know, eating clover, eating these diverse grasses, and that's a closed loop. It's of sustainability. Um, our pigs and our chickens are omnivores, so we do give them some free choice grain as a component of their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that all goes back into a circle of okay, we're producing some product. And their manure, which is able to be naturally distributed across the pasture because we rotate the pigs across pasture very intensively from a management standpoint, goes back to doing what? Fertilizing the grass for the cattle, for the sheep, you know. So that's just kind of how we...
1: Just being economical in every aspect.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we can go out with tractors and and get chemical fertilizers and, and ring up big bills... For ourselves, Um, and and by the way, you know,
1: for those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities, so sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factory, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factory meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to, to take care of dinner, and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com/slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com/slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss.
0: Tractor with fuel and repair it when it breaks down and put it in a barn for 11 months out of the year when it's not being used. Or, you know, I could run a bunch of pigs out there. They look beautiful. They smoke great. They taste fabulous when you put them on your plate. It's a humane way to treat our animals. Um, you know, whether you're vegetarian or, or you're an omnivore, um, far more humane than the way most animals are raised. And at the end of the day, their manure doesn't even have to be cleaned up. It just goes around to the pasture and it fertilizes the grass.
1: It's awesome. So it's, it's the circle of life, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, what can I say? I didn't invent it. I
1: yeah. just participating. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you've made a goal for yourself to read the great books of the Western world but have had trouble following through with it, check out online great books. It's an online platform. You sign up, they're going to mail you a physical copy of the book you're going to read. So if you're reading the Republic that month, they're going to send you a physical copy of Plato's Republic. You're going to read it, they're going to give you a reading schedule, send you reminders so you keep pace with your reading. You'll be assigned to a class where you can discuss the book in the form, and at the end of the month you'll have a video seminar where you can talk about this in real time. It's a great way you have accountability, plus you have someone to talk to about this stuff and sort through this and think through it. So if you'd like to check this out, go over to OnlineGreatBooks.com. And when you're ready to sign up, use code AOM at checkout to save 25% off your first three months. Again, OnlineGreatBooks.com, code AOM at checkout to save 25% off your first three months. And now back to the show. All right. So you decided uh, to get into farming. You're going to go the sustainable route, um, but this wasn't an overnight success, right? This this It was rough going in the beginning what were the biggest obstacles at the very beginning of your journey to become a sustainable farmer?
0: Oh man, that, that one's, I don't even have to think about that one. It was uh, a <laughs> negative peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> like, You know, all the voices and, you know, I get, I think I put that right at the end of chapter one in the book. It's like, you know, this is what all the voices were trying to tell me when I get that check for 18 bucks, you know, like you can't do it. Just like, get God, why, you know, okay. You've had a few months to like, you know, dick around on the farm. Now get yourself a haircut and, and, and a a polo shirt and go get a job, you know? Um, and, and that wasn't just all my friends, who a generation before would have been young farmers and were now, you know, put on khaki pants and, and finding jobs in Washington, D.C., which is about an hour from our farm, that was other farmers, okay, saying that. I mean, they were, you know, they, they were discouraging because for all, all through the 1960s, the 70s, the 80s, commodity prices were just going down, down, down. You know, I'm not making this up. You can pull up, you know, umpteen different charts on this where commodity prices diverge from the cost of living, okay it's just like a big you know greater than symbol uh, commodity prices kind of flatlined and trickled down in one direction and the cost of living went up and the gap in between as that, as that is that V-shaped diagram uh keeps growing over the years um the gap in between becomes insurmountable to bridge okay and and by 1996 when i was standing on a you know standing there look looking over our farm and, and thinking about becoming a farmer um that gap was as, as just about as wide as it had ever been. So, uh, you know, needless to say, they were, I could not find many farmers in my area that were like, you know, let's sign sign you up, pal. You know, let's yeah. get, get you a straw hat and get you started. You know, they were like, you know, do anything but farm. Yeah. So
1: Yeah. And I guess, too, um, I think you're talking about commodity prices. I guess that a lot of that has to do with subsidies, right, farm subsidies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, that that's part of the problem, Uh, A lot of farms that used to grow diverse, you know, products, produce, animals, because that wasn't where the money was at. They started diverting all that land and resource to like soy. Of course,
0: soy, corn, wheat. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I guess that's
1: that's like that was the way you were supposed to do it. So, I guess when you came along, said, "Hey, yeah, I want to like feed my cows grass, and I want to." I got an orchard. I want to try doing some stuff there. People are kind of like, I yeah. guess a lot of the farmers are like, uh, what plant are you from, son? Or.
0: Yeah, Brett, Brett, I literally got laughed at yeah. at one point. Okay. and I, I write about it a little bit. And, you know, it, it's still like one of those things that, uh, you know, makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck from like, you know, kind of the indignity of it. You know, I, I still, I still like have take umbrage, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm serving at this party and you know, I'm a, I'm working as a caterer to like pay in, i not as a caterer, as a server for a catering company, um, to help pay my bills while I try to farm. You know, this is like my night job. I'm serving like cucumber sandwiches to people. <laughs> I'm at this party and I'm telling these farmers, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a 30 second little break, like what I'm up to. And, uh, You know, they literally, after I get done telling them that I'm going to sell grass-fed beef and take it to farmer's market and, uh, you know, we're going to get, like, local customers, they turned to each other and made eye contact. It's like one of those moments where, like, they just couldn't help but laugh. You know, it's like, who's going to laugh first? And it's, like, burst into laughter. And, you know, I must have turned red from the tips of my ears down to my toes, you know.
1: So so, what kept you going? Well I mean, through all those. I mean, like you know, from the book, he it took a while for you to like even start making a profit, and the profits you made were very small, like eighteen bucks, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what kept you going with through all the negativity and I mean, the, I mean, just like the the yeah. lack of uh, results. I mean, what kept you going?
0: Right. Um, you know, if if we think about farming, uh, you know, farming and writing both are, are not really notorious for uh, being great um careers from a financial standpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's reason why people go to law school and, and medical school and all these things. Um so I, I had help from my both my parents. Um, they realized that they could not farm. Okay, again, keep in mind this was the late seventies, early eighties when uh, you know stock market was was doing very well and the economy was going strong and all this stuff, but commodity prices were just in the toilet. So both my parents, they were not farmers. They both had off farm jobs in uh, in Washington D.C. and in another local big town. So when I came along, like there was no logical way. For me to say like I'm going to make a living here, until I had enough time to like either figure it out or fail trying, like fail nobly, <laughs> okay? Like you gave it a hell of a go, you know. It's been four years and you know it's not working out, kind of thing. So you know I'm and I'm just constantly grateful for my parents and um, to like believe in me, you know. And and what greater what greater honor can can anybody have than like you know your dad who was working a desk job in DC, be like, look, son, like, I don't really think it's going to work out. Um, I don't, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but like, I love you, man. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, st- I'm going to stick behind you as long as, as long as you keep going. Um, and you know, in a lot of ways, this, this book was, was kind of a uh, written in gratitude to, to that spirit. Um, it's just a spirit of something bigger than yourself, yeah. you know, and that's the best way I can describe farming. It's like a commitment to a to a faith a faith and and, uh, and spirituality that's just bigger than, than any of us
1: I love that I love that so much makes me want to be farmer right now um, so you' you're a big <laughs> success now right um, you got a book uh, the farm okay. is is thriving I mean it's like it's like a it's like a, you have multiple streams of revenue coming in I mean it's like a little corporation almost right um, What was the tipping point? Uh, for you, was there a particular moment, or were there moments where you're like, "Man, yeah, this is working. I can make this a success."
0: The moment was when I got interviewed uh, by Art of Manliness for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's living history, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like uh, you know, um, the the easiest way I can I can answer that is like, you know, it was like an overnight success after after 15 years. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's like, okay, this guy, this guy's, a, this guy's a success, right? Overnight, um, just overnight, over and over and over again. <laughs> like the, the biggest thing I can attribute any of this to is like my customers believing me. Okay. Like, you know, in the acknowledgements, I'd say, thank you. It's like the last thing I say to my customers and none, like nothing I could have done could have happened if my customers didn't say like, look, there's this 25 year old guy, he's on the back of a pickup truck he's wearing a bandana and and a, you know, a t-shirt with no sleeves on it. Like, (laughs) like who in their right mind would buy like frozen ground beef on a street corner from like a human that looked like me. Okay. Like if they didn't have like a greater mission uh, about what they were about, like what did they value, you know? And my customers just bring me their values. And that's like, you know, about humane raising of animals about like, you know, organic growing practices. It's about, um, like, you know, they really want to support, like, s- small family farms that are just, like, with transparent growing practices, you know? They value the fact that they can get in their car and drive out to my farm and just, like, be able to walk around and open the barn doors, and they're not going to see, like, bags of chemicals that, like, I'm keeping, like, in the back of the shed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, all, it basically all comes down to, you know, people believing you, and and after a while, if you get enough people believing in you, then uh, yeah, you start to rock and roll a little bit.
1: Um. So what's typical? What's the typical day on your, on the farm like for you? I mean, is it like really like what you read about in those books, or like you grew up watching in old movies where you wake up at four o'clock in the morning? I mean, is that what it's like? I mean, what kind of walks through your day?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what a typical day really is after <laughs> after 17 days, 17 years of farming. Um, there is some routine in it. We do we attend seven farmers markets in Washington D.C. every weekend. That doesn't mean like from May through October. That's year round. Okay. Wow. Um We we have a year round food platform in the form of livestock. You know, livestock. It's got there's seasonality to it. Don't get me wrong. Like we only raise our chickens, for example, in the summertime when the grass is out. Our our, our meat chickens, I should say. But everything else, even our laying hens, you know, um, I, I've got dozens of pictures of chickens out in the snow, year after year after year. So, um, like, what's a typical day? Uh, if, if aside from our weekends where I, we attend farmers markets, um, Monday through Friday is going to be like just just absolutely fraught with variability. It can be anything from you know putting up a new fence to uh, taking a chainsaw out to a tree that just fell on the new fence. You know, it can be uh, changing the oil in our truck uh, as preventative, uh, you know, in our in our 13-year-old farm truck to finding out that because we didn't change the oil, like the head gasket went on it. You know, now we got to get the truck to the shop. Um, you know, this morning I um, worked a bunch of sheep, trimmed hooves, checked the parasites, um, fixed a flat tire on a livestock trailer and uh, picked up my farmhand for lunch because his truck was out of commission and, like, ran him over uh, to where he lives. Um, You know, that might not sound very, like, romantic, um, but that's, like, my typical day, man, working with livestock, checking on pastures, making sure stuff isn't broken, and and fixing it.
1: Well, you sound like you had a much manlier morning than I did. Like, I went to the post office, and I went to Office (laughs) Depot. And hey bought, man, I like the post office. And I bought some envelopes, so that's not very manly. I need to I you,
0: bought, you, you make me I feel bought.
1: inadequate. <laughs> well, you know,
0: that's uh not not intentional for yeah. sure. I like, <laughs> I like I like I love a good envelope,
1: man. Yeah, who, who doesn't? Um yeah. All right, so uh, the people who are listening to this podcast and are like, Man, I wanna eat a pig that smells like maple syrup. Um okay. or I want a cow, like I want to support this sort of sustainable farming. I want to reap the benefits of this. What can these people who are listening, these guys who are listening, what can they do to support sustainable farming?
0: Right. The, the best answer I can give to that, like the easiest answer is, and, and, and it's easier than ever, frankly, um, is, is know your farmer. Okay. Know your farmer. Like anybody that's out there listening right now, um, Tell me who your farmer is. Like, who who pops to mind? And I want a face and a name. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, who's your doctor? Okay. You know, um, who works in your office? You know, who's your kid's soccer coach? You know, like, why do we know all these names and faces? Like, but we don't know who our farmer is. Okay. Or our farmers, plural. So the easiest thing to do is go know your farmer. Where do you find a farmer? You find them at farmer's markets. Okay, you find them through CSA, through com- com- which is an acronym for community, subs- me, community supported agriculture or community subscription agriculture. Um, you can find them through buying clubs, where someone in your neighborhood's like, "Hey, I know like you're too busy to like go out and find your farmer, but like I know this person. Um, I've been out to their farm. I'm gonna like pull a bunch of food because I've got like a 20 cubic foot chest freezer." You know, in a in a in a big re- a big refrigerator in my garage that I'm not using, and we're going to have like a drop off um, for this farmer.
1: So, so you, you I mean, can these are, like re- you it, can go to a farm and like say I want to buy a cow, right? Like if you wanted to, yeah,
0: yeah, sure, of course, that's, and that's like a fourth option. Yeah, and like my greater point is like there are myriad options, and like I'm not like blowing smoke. Like these are real things, okay? Like farmers' markets, there's like. You know, it's one in in a in an economy for the last ten years where all you hear about is like how bad the economy is. Like, you know, vote the bums out of office. They're gridlocked. They can't get the economy going. Well, guess what? Like farmers' markets in the past ten years have gone from like something like five hundred nationally to like like seven or eight thousand. Wow. Okay, and that's growth like any any industry would be incredibly envious of. And this isn't like you know. Let's make some more widgets in, in Hong Kong. Okay, we need more action figures because Star Wars has a new new movie out kind of thing. These are like family farms that are just like strapping it up, saying, like, look, customers are really finally give a damn about the food we're raising. Now we're gonna take it to farmers market. And what we as customers have to do is say, like, yes, thank you. We're gonna show up, we're gonna buy this food, we're gonna, you know, create a relationship. With this farmer and get to know, you know, not just one farmer, like a, you know, a whole market full of people, and like get behind this stuff.
1: That's awesome. So just yeah, get out, just find a farmer. That's put them in your Rolodex or your iPhone. I guess people don't use, sure. I don't people yeah. don't use Rolodexes uh, anymore. So yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right, so there's, there's probably some guys who are listening to this, like me, who are, I'm talking to you. I'm like, man, I want to become a farmer. Um, I'm not sure that's a doable right now, but there's a young guy who's like, you're, you know. He's twenty. He was the age that you were when you decided I want to become a farmer. Any advice right. that you can um, give these guys who are considering this career? And in fact, I think you're you're actually writing a guest post for us about.
0: Right. So, exactly. So just yeah, kind of I, the, I the, mean, the I, Cliff
1: Notes version, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, and I've touched on a bunch of these, bunch of these subjects um, within the podcast. But yeah, like the kind of like the Cliff, Cliff Notes version of you know, like t- you know the t- top you know, top 10 rules of like starting your own farm. Number one has to be stay out of debt, okay? Like what is it about our culture that wants to take shortcuts on everything, okay? We want to like get to the finish line first. We want to win the video game first. You know, we want to have like the most likes on Facebook, okay? You know, slow food, local food, organic farming has nothing to do with shortcuts. It's like the anti-shortcut. Okay, um, and what we do as a culture is we say like, look, I really want that six hundred thousand dollars house, and man, I need it now. You know, I need it with a swimming pool, and I need it within like, you know, four, uh, under a forty minute commute to my house because I don't want to live in the city. But you know, I, I really want to have this house, so we finance it with debt. And then guess what happens? In two thousand eight, in two thousand nine. <laughs> okay, the chick. You know, to borrow a farm analogy, the chickens came home to roost. Yeah. Okay, and we all got in trouble. And this happens over and over again with, in farming because there is so much variability with the weather, with prices, with our own personal energy levels, with unexpected you know, calamities, uh, health problems. I mean the list goes on and on and on. And you can't have any of these things and farm successfully. Like you, you can only farm when everything's successfully, when everything's going right. So we have to assume that lots of things are going to go wrong, which is where I get down further in the post and I say expect to fail and accept failure, like value failure, (laughs) okay? Um, But, you know, knowing that we're going to fail, like stay out of debt, okay? Um, And that's the best way I can say, like, just grow slowly and, and buy what you can afford. You know, if you can only afford to rent, you know, five acres and you've got a farm, then there's nothing small about five acres, man. You can grow a lot of vegetables, and a lot. You know, you could raise a whole flock of free-range laying hens on five acres and make money on it. You know, I, I challenge anybody to go out and raise five acres of tomatoes, and uh, and tell me that's not a job. That that's a small <laughs> farm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so, how is this whole experience? How long has it been? Like 15 years in the making? Mm-hmm. About. How has this fifteen-year experience of saving the family farm, uh, becoming a sustainable farming? How has it made you a better man?
0: Well, that's a that's a pretty challenging question. <laughs> I I I think I think the best way um, the best way I can answer that is to say like I'm it made me a willing father. Okay, and that's going to sound a little weird for the first thing to say but i've got an eight-year-old son okay and the farm has been in my family for seven generations now and you know it doesn't really matter if it's been in my family for one generation or 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 10, or ten generations it's just that's the way it's been and for seven generations or six generations before me somebody had to say yes okay somebody had to say like you know I'm not taking that job in town. I'm not going to run for politics or whatever, you know, uh, or, you know, fill in the blank. I'm going to be a farmer. And when I came along, I had to be that person. Like a farm isn't a farm without a farmer. Okay. A farm is just a piece of land. It's a, it's a park. It's a, it's a woods that you drive by on the highway. It's a protected, you know, piece of land that was bought by some billion dollar endowment. Okay. (laughs) A farm has to have a farmer and if I'm going to be able to pass anything on like if I'm going to be you know fulfilled as a man um, then I have to have a son or a daughter to come along behind me and say like yeah dad like this is cool you know uh, what you're doing what you're doing works and like I want to do it too like you know a kid in the back of the crowd, like pick me, pick me. I want to be on your kickball team. <laughs> you know that that kind of excitement. That's that's the way it's got to be. So like, you know, I didn't when I was twenty years old. I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff. Um, I was, you know, thinking about you know, pizzas and going, going to watch a movie and, and 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 you know waking up with enough energy the next day to to farm for you know ten or twelve hours. But then you do this for year after year after year, and your 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 priorities and your goals just begin to shift. And when you and you know when you bring another human life into the farm, it just really completes completes the picture for uh, you know, as another component of what sustainability really means
1: yeah so it's a, I mean guess it kind of inspired you to like start you know inspire you to like start leaving a legacy right like you want to be able to pass this down to your children your grandchildren
0: yeah that's I think that's really well put um the word legacy is like a very poetic kind of encapsulation of exactly what I was talking about. And, you know, and there's plenty of legacies out there that, uh, you know, that we, we are going for like that brass ring and we're, we're, you know, we're going for the golden parachute, whatever. And, uh, at the end of the day, we, we might look back on it and be like, what did I really accomplish? You know, but if I can look back on and say like, look, we saved our family farm and, and I've got a kid that like wants to take it over from me like a family business. Oh man, that's cool. You know,
1: that's awesome. So last question, uh, Forrest. I know you probably got to get back out and shear some sheep or whatever you do. I'm on, I'm on way to the butcher right after this. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any like life lessons that an average guy, say a guy is not going to be a farmer, but are there any life lessons that a, a man could take from the life of a farmer that could help them become a better man?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, w- let's think about being kids for a minute. Um, what like what are the songs that we're taught? when we're, we're in kindergarten, we, we, you know, we learned about old McDonald and like all his, all the sound, you know, all the different animals on his farm. We, you know, we were given like a, a, a you know, play set for, for a barn uh, with a farmer and it's, you know, a donkey and a cow and all this stuff. And um, like, like why, you know, a, a after we're all so removed from being on farms ourselves, like why do we still value as a culture, like the idea of a farmer, you know, there's got to be something there. You know, we, we don't we don't give our kids like, you know, uh, a, a cubicle to play with, okay? <laughs> we don't give them like a little guy sitting behind a desk with like you know a a computer, okay? Like, hey, you know, happy birthday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, yeah, play with this. Like, we don't do that. Like, well, like why don't we do that? So like, you know, if, even if you don't want to get into farming, like we just have a cultural resonance that says like, look, we there's certain things we value about farming like we can take these things away and make ourselves better and like what are those things man i hate to say it but they're it's, it's like it's poetry okay you know i, I know we it's, we're not supposed to read poetry like you know robert frost uh, and everybody aside who you know robert frost being a famous farmer himself and, and wendell berry for that matter um but like it's issues of faith it's issues of of dedication it's selflessness you know, it is the desire and the willingness to wake up for 50 years in a row and say, I'm going to put on my boots this morning, and I'm going to go out and and and, and fix a broken down fence. I'm going to go help pull uh, a, a calf out of a cow that's straining, and it's going to take me all morning. You know, I'm going to go out in the rain this afternoon and— you know, take care of my chickens that are otherwise going to be out there getting, getting pneumonia If like, I don't take action right now and like wash, rinse and repeat for 50 years. And then what do you get at the end? Do you get like severance package? Do you get like benefits? You know, when you retire? No, of course you don't. Um, so what kind of person does that pay? I don't know. For some reason, our culture continues to value it. And, uh, and
1: uh, I can't say I disagree. Well, that's good stuff. I'm ready to like get my pitchfork and overalls and <laughs> well, go for it, man. Buy my farm. Well, Forrest, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, I, all you're listening, I highly recommend go go, go out and get his book. Um, it's just it's an interesting read. Um, so, Forrest, thank you very much.
0: My pleasure, Brett. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Our guest today was Forrest Pritchard. Forrest is the author of the book, Gaining Ground. And you can find that on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you guys could do me a favor, if you enjoy the, this podcast, this free podcast, uh, you can go to iTunes and give it a rating and a review. That would help me out a lot. Help us um, help other people find the podcast. So if you knew that, I'd really appreciate it. So until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.